So there's a section at the end of John's Gospel where John writes about, he begins to reflect upon all the wonderful and amazing things that Jesus has done. And he says, there are many other things that Jesus did and were any one of, every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John begins to remind us that when we read through the Gospels of the accounts of the things that Jesus did, what we have is but just a little taste, a little kind of teaser almost of the many, many things that Jesus did. He's reminding us when I think he uses language about the fact that if you could fill more books then there is space in the world to hold them. John's way of telling us there's a lot <laughs> and so my mind's been kind of tracking down this kind of road where I'm thinking to myself why then Matthew Mark Luke and John why the stories of the signs and wonders why did they choose those ones well we believe the word of course is God inspired God breathed God led them to that place of bringing them in, but they're there for a specific purpose. They're there for a reason. Spurgeon said this, he said that signs are sermons to the eye, just as Jesus's discourses were sermons to the ear. The whole thing we know well about a sign points to somewhere, that when we see signs and stories and signs of wonders and miracles, the whole point is that they're conveying a deeper truth, they're conveying deeper lessons, they're conveying a deeper message to us, and that actually we learn from them. And, you know, Jesus was into the whole visual learning thing way before anyone. And there's so much that we kind of glean from them. And so intentionally these stories are here in the gospels because they want to communicate a deeper truth to us of of who Jesus is of what Jesus is like of what Jesus can do and so they're there because these are the chosen ones that are teaching us something they all teach us something but these teach us some real truths that God wants us to to know he wants that revelation into our life and so there's a story that I got stuck on in recent weeks in Luke chapter 7, and I referenced it earlier on, and it's the story um, of when Jesus raised a widow's son. It comes in Luke chapter 7, verse 11 to 17. And it says these words, Em, I think I best let you sit down, otherwise I'll have you playing for a long time, but if you can just be ready to come back in a moment, that'll be great. So soon afterwards, or the next day, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Some versions say his heart went out to her and said to her, do not weep, do not cry. Then he came up and touched the beer, the stretcher effectively, 
And the bearer stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Some versions say Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Can we just pray together for a moment this morning? Lord, teach us the deeper truths. Holy Spirit, as we look into this story right now, we just pray that you will just communicate Christ to us. We just pray that the lessons that are there, the sermon to the eye that this story is, we don't want to miss that. And so we just pray right now that our eyes would be open, that we would see Jesus, that we would understand more about you, Jesus, that we would know you better, Jesus, that things would shift and change as we see you, Jesus, and that you would speak deeply into our hearts today. We just pray right now that, Holy Spirit, you will just put Jesus up in lights before us all. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And so we've got this desperately sad story, a tragic scene, a sad situation of a lady who has already buried her husband and is now on the way to bury her son. Specifically, we are told her young son, verse 14, when Jesus addresses him, it's her young son. It's a story of loss a uh, once-filled sound of family in the home now lies quiet as the house is empty, and we see it's just her left. And I'm always a big advocate of trying to immerse yourself into a story, and so it's really hard to kind of... But if you just begin to imagine yourself, you know, somewhere, and some of you will have experienced loss, physical loss, painful physical loss in your life, and... So, you know, you may have an empathy and an understanding, but if you begin to imagine for this woman to have buried her father, uh, sorry, her husband, and now to be on the way to bury her young son, and all her immediate family has gone, and it's just her left behind, it's kind of just, whew. and there's this whole narrative, there's this whole thought of, of, of loss, and this is what I felt the Holy Spirit kind of just speaking to me about in the last kind of like week or two, is not just the physical loss, but things, the different stories of loss that we experience in our life. And the loss of, of, of kind of uh, different things. And I'm going to touch on some of those. I always kind of mention some of those earlier on. But there's a 19th century preacher who goes by the name of Joseph Parker. And, and he said these words. He said, um, there we go. Preach the suffering and you will never lack a congregation. There is a broken heart in every pew. Now, coming back to that in a moment. But there may be people who feel they've lost their joy. I just feel like, you know what, something has, has just died in that whole area of my joy. There may be some people who feel that they've... Um, mental health, physical health. This list just kept growing this week as I felt God speaking to me. Energy. 
confidence, peace, provision, relationship, purpose, future, something of yourself, passion, self-esteem. I feel I've lost something in that. God, I feel something's just kind of died in one of those areas. And even with physical loss, it's not just the loss of the actual person, is it? But we feel there's a, there's a bigger sense of loss that impacts our life too. And Jesus' famous words from John chapter 10 and verse 10, you'll know them well, have been resonating with me again recently, that the thief, the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. And they may have it to the full. And you know, the devil is always on the take. He always wants to rob. He always wants to steal. He's loss-driven in your life to bring about loss, to take away, to rob our joy, to steal away our mental or physical health, our energy and confidence and peace and so on with that list. And that, that word steal there means to actually to destroy and it means to take away by, by theft or by stealth. And that's quite a, a powerful thought that he's stealth-like in how he does it. He, he flies under the radar. He begins to work in ways that we don't see it incoming, you know? Kind of, the, the, sometimes you don't even see it coming, and before you know it, it's happened. And it's like, where did that come from? And it means, that word there, to destroy, means to die or to lose or to perish. And so there are things that he wants to kill off. There are things he wants to take away. There are things he wants to perish in our, in our, in our lives. And so the devil wants us to experience loss, but Jesus is always looking to bring life. Life and life to the full. And verse 15 hit me when I, when I read it that the dead, that Jesus said, spoke to him. And then it says the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And I began to feel God speaking to me that the bottom line of this story is this, that Jesus gave her back what she thought she had lost. What she thought was gone, what she literally thought was dead. And, and, and actually, it was only in an, it was an encounter with Jesus that brought life. An encounter with Jesus that brought life. And see, so if Joseph Parker is right, and that actually in, in, in every pew, as he would call it, um, thank God we're beyond them days now, and, but, of pews, but... In the modern day translation would literally mean that in every row of our church, there is a broken heart. There is. There's a story somewhere of the enemy on the take. There's a story somewhere of someone feeling some kind of loss in their life. And an aching heart of a person who's just like, I would desperately long for that back. I want that back. And so we see this scene of two crowds that that bump into each other, and we're told it's the day afterwards. It's the next day, we're told. And that's because Jesus has just been up the road in, in Capernaum. That's like 25 miles up the road. And he's healed a centurion's servant who we're told was so sick, was at the point of, of death. And uh, Jesus has healed him, and he's come back to, to life. And so you can imagine the excitement and the buzz 
that's kind of doing the rounds, the sound of, a, of an excitable crowd who have seen the power of Jesus at work. And they're like, we're going to follow you, Jesus. It's exciting to be around you. And we're going to walk like 25 miles with you. Wherever you're going, we're just going to like follow you. And there's a, uh, there's a crowd and there's a sound of a crowd. The sound of the crowd is excitement. The sound of the crowd is thrill. The sound of the crowd is joy. The sound of that crowd is is just is buzzing and it's a life. It's alive. It's hope filled and it's expectant and it's excited. And there's this sound of all those things. There's so much life in this crowd when as they begin to follow him, all of a sudden this hush just begins to fall because coming the other way is a different sound. There's a different crowd. And this other crowd that are coming out because Jewish law said that you had to make your burial outside of the city. The, the, the other crowd, which we're told is a considerable crowd, is, is carrying a very different sound. And the sound of this crowd is, is mourning. The sound of this crowd is loss. The sound of this crowd is, is kind of death. And we know that it's not quiet because we understand that the, the funerals of those days, the the, the way they were done, that you'd even do things like bring in professional mourners. There would be music and it would be loud. I mean, professional mourning. I mean, what a job, hey? What do you do for a living? Well, I'm a professional mourner. But it was, it was culture. I can't quite get my head around everything, but it was loud and it was demonstrative and it was expressive and it was all those kind of things. And it's this sound there's a different sound there's a mum who's following a, a stretcher a beer with her young son upon it on her way to bury him and this carrying a sound that's in total opposition and it's like this picture in my mind of the sound of two crowds that bump into each other and I think there are times in our lives when our disappointment bumps into another person's joy <laughs> And sometimes, like, stories of loss meet stories of life, and stories of disappointment meet stories of joy, and, you know, stories of, you feel like this is hopeless meet hope-filled kind of stories and sound. And that's tough when two worlds kind of collide. And when those two worlds kind of collide, we maybe begin to think, well, does Jesus kind of care about me? Does Jesus kind of care about what's going on in my story? But this whole story begins to pivot on, uh, on four words that begin to turn the whole thing around, which is in verse 13, it says, The Lord saw her. The Lord saw her. Holy Spirit, will you somehow communicate to every person in this building today that you see them, Jesus? He wants you to know he sees you. He sees you. And the big difference between the two crowds is this, that in the one which Jesus is present in, there's a sound of hope and expectation. In the one that Jesus was absent in, there's a sound of hopelessness and despair. But Jesus, as those two crowds come together, and he finds himself in the midst of the crowd that had a sound of hopelessness and desperation... A grieving mum encounters Jesus and the whole atmosphere shifts and changes. The narrative changes. 
See, I believe it's only when we encounter Jesus, I believe it's only in his presence that the sound of loss can turn to the sound of life. I want to share with you just a couple of things about that. I also just want to say sorry to everyone who was lined up to do things today. And I've... But I just felt that God just wanted to bring this now, so... We'll be sure to break bread and stuff in a moment. But I believe that Christ's compassion offers hope, the hope of life out of loss. That's the first thing I want to say. Christ's compassion offers us the hope of life out of loss. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. The NIV says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. The New Living Translation says, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. That word saw, and you'd have heard uh, stuff on this before and about the God who sees, but in this instance, that word saw, I love it, it means to cherish and pay attention to. It doesn't mean that Jesus just kind of just like, oh. It meant that in that moment, in the midst of all that, what we're told, one is a great crowd emerging from Capernaum and two is a considerable crowd that's coming out of Nain. In the midst of all that crowd, Jesus' eyes fall on one person and he begins to cherish this one person and what's going on in her life. And all his attention is focused right there in that moment. His eyes are on you. You're more than a face in a crowd. You're never just a face in a crowd. You're not the unseen when it comes to Jesus. You may feel unseen to others. Others may not see what's going on. But you're never unseen with Jesus. And as his eyes fall upon her, and he sees her, something begins to happen in him which the Bible can only put into as the word compassion. It's trying to describe something that's going on on the inside of Jesus. And that's exactly what it's trying to convey. Something of this woman's story of loss begins to stir something deep inside of Jesus, where more than seeing her, he begins to feel what she is going through. Now, you know when someone says to you, like you're going for a test, someone says, oh, I feel your pain. You know, we kind of, it just kind of means like, that makes sense. This is so much more than that. This is, this is, this is Jesus. It actually means to feel in your bowels. It's trying to get the impression across in the Greek. That's what it means. It means, it means to feel deep within inside. It actually means to feel with feeling. And so Jesus is not just saying, hey, I feel your pain. It makes, much, it makes sense to me. What happens to Jesus, it's so hard to convey, is in that moment, he begins to enter into her pain. And it's like two people are connected in a moment. People are like all around like, man, this is sad, really sad story. And they, they like, I feel your pain. But Jesus is like, I feel your pain. 
He's the only one who, and we get rocked by stories of kind of difficulty around us, and we can be affected. And I, I mean, I'm an emotional guy. I've told you that many times before. Man alive, I cried when Harold Bishop left Neighbours. I mean, <laughs> that's who I am. But Jesus, <laughs> he's like able to like enter into it. And actually in that moment, you see, what you begin to realize is, I'm not alone in this. Her story was lonely. But it's like Jesus is like, literally, I feel it. You're not alone in what you're going through. I'm I'm with you in it. I'm entering into it. He's he's able to empathize and understand uh, in a way that no one else can. And he's saying you're not alone and sometimes you might feel that but he's right there and he does truly because sometimes we say oh you don't understand but he truly does understand you know we sometimes say that to to others and so when he begins to feel it he feels it at such a depth he's like ah he's like I've got to do something about it because you know when you're you're kind of hurting like he's like he's like I need to do something about this, and so his compassion moves him to to action. His compassion moves him to step in, and so I think if anyone else come up to you at a funeral possession when you've you've already lost your husband, and now you're about to bury your own son, and they come up to you and said, "Don't cry," what? I don't think Jesus has any problem with wholesome tears and healthy tears. I don't think that was because he was saying, "Come on." Stiff up a lip and all that. Be stoic and be strong and don't let anyone see you cry. It's a sign of weakness. He isn't saying that. Friends, there's something in those few words. There's a lot more to it than just those. There's something in them few words that lovingly and tenderly are calling her to a spark of trust in him. To do something about this story her story there's something in that that lovingly and tenderly is not like oh don't cry man up kind of rubbish but is lovingly calling her to begin to lift her eyes and see i'm in the presence of one who's in this with me feels this with me and can do something about this can change the story can change the narrative of my life which has just been lost He's calling her to look to him to bring life out of loss. The second thing I want to say is this. The grace of God offers us the hope of life out of loss. In the previous story of the healing of the centurion's son, the elders and that, when they turn up to Jesus, what do they say? He is worthy to have you do this for him. That's what they say. That's the story, if you like. But there's none of that in this story. Jesus just meets a grieving mum on her way to bury her son. Maybe that actually what God is wanting to communicate to us again afresh that is just let's just destroy something right here, right now. Because sometimes we can all get into a little bit of a default unhealthy thinking, which is maybe if I just try a little harder, things will change. Maybe there's a little bit of a default mind of thinking that says, I've got to do something to merit a miracle. She didn't ask Jesus to do anything. 
This was all by grace. And thirdly, I want to say Jesus' word offers us the hope of life out of loss. His compassion, his grace, and his word. And Jesus performs miracles as we go through the Gospels in numbers of different ways. I mean, Jesus is way outside of the box from how me or you would have thought you should have done things, you know, and all that. I mean, there's some pretty radical stuff in there. And there's this variety of ways that he works miracles. But the interesting thing is, the three times that we see the stories of him raising the dead, Lazarus, Jairus' door, and this one, they all carry three things in common. They were all done the same way. Jesus spoke directly to the person and called them back to life. There is no one like Jesus who can deliver a life-giving word into your heart. He can speak right into you in a way that nobody else can. Have you ever had those meetings when you've been in them and you just feel like you may be one of however many people, you just feel like, oh my life, I just feel like he's talking to me. Remember the day I got saved, I felt exactly like that. I sat in a room, it was like everyone else was a blur, and I'm just like, it's just like preaching right into my heart. And maybe God's doing that. I, I pray for some people today, but that is Jesus is able to speak a life-giving word into a situation that can turn it around. And so his word is so powerful. We have to remind ourselves of how powerful his word. He spoke creation into existence. There is creative power. There is ability within his voice to do things that you've never imagined as possible. There's ability to to create. There's ability to resurrect. There's ability to turn things around. And Jesus didn't stop and he just... We're told he stops the pallbearers. I mean, imagine, can you just imagine being at this funeral? I took a funeral a couple of weeks ago, and you know, like my head sometimes, kind of my mind sometimes, once I'm like, in modern day scenario, you just think, imagine if this happened. You know, and it says like the guy sat up and spoke. I think, I wonder what he said. You know, what were the first words when he sat up and found himself on a, a beer and he looked around and like, oh, you're here for me, kind of thing. It's like, but... Jesus didn't speak to the pallbearers. Jesus didn't even speak to the mum. Jesus spoke straight into the heart of the situation. And the sound of God's word we see in this story brings hope into hopelessness, brings life where there's loss, brings things back to life, turns things around, transforms things. There's such great power in God's word. I, I'm nearly done, actually. It's only a short message, but I, I, I read a brilliant um, story just before I give you a couple of last things. I, I read a brilliant story um, uh, uh, last week, this week, anyway, recently about the general secretary of the the Bible Society in Zimbabwe, uh, a guy um, with the surname of Kambarami. Okay, I'll probably pronounce that awfully, so forgive me. Um, but he'd offered him Hannah New Testament. True story. And this man responded, "If you give me that Bible, I'll roll the pages and I'll use them to make cigarettes." And Kambari replied, at least promise me you will read the page before you smoke it. 
The man agreed, so he gave him the New Testament and went his way. Fifteen years later, Kambarami was attending a convention when the speaker on the platform who he was listening to suddenly spotted him, pointed to Kambari in the audience and said, this man doesn't remember me, but 15 years ago he tried to give me a New Testament. When I refused, he gave it to me anyway, even though I told him I would use the pages to roll cigarettes. He made me promise to read the pages before I smoked them. Well, I smoked Matthew, I smoked Mark, and I smoked Luke. But when I got to John 3.16, I couldn't smoke anymore. My life was changed from that moment. There is such power in his word. Life that came because of his word. And so this book and the stories in it literally have the power to change our life. And, and so when Jesus comes and we talk about hope entering the scene, it wasn't like his compassion and his grace and his worth brought this kind of wishful, I hope so, kind of thinking. It delivered real change. And that's the important thing, that as I read this story, something in my heart begins to say, even if there's a story of some kind of loss or there's a story of I think I've, you know, something has died or, you know, there's a story of I really want something back, that Actually, this story encourages me that if Jesus can raise the dead, then there is hope for me today because that means that no story of loss is too far gone for him to change. And Luke calls Jesus here Lord, and that's the first time he does it in the Gospels. It's the Greek word, the Kyrios, and it means that Jesus is the one who is supreme in authority. He to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding. Can I just say that to you? I meant to put it on the screen and I forgot. Uh, he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding, master or lord. Why did Luke include this miracle story? Because he wants us to know that Jesus is Lord. And because he is Lord, he has the deciding word. And the young man is powerfully affected. He sits up and begins to speak. As I've said, you're just like, M band, perhaps you can just come back. Excuse me, sniffing down the microphone. The mum is powerfully affected. I mean, Jesus gave him back to his mother. I can't even begin to imagine how emotional that moment was when tears of loss and grief and sorrow are changed to tears of life and joy. Jesus actually handed her her future back because in those days your future was bound up in your children because they, they were the ones, they were your future. They, they cared for you. That was the, the kind of Jewish way. They, they looked after you as you entered into old age in, the, in those days. There was some other kind of provision for widows and orphans and poor according to Mosaic law. They were allowed to glean in certain fields. Every three years or so there's a special offering that's kind of taken up. But actually what it meant was that her future looked far less than it did at one point. So her future kind of was like being written with a sort of sense of just like even my I feel like my future's gone and and I, I just feel that maybe even prophetically there's there's something in that that we see that Jesus gave her a future back and sometimes when we feel loss or we feel like that's gone or we feel like something has died we begin to think can the future look full of life again is it possible or am I going to be settling for something less and and I don't say that in a belittling way I just want you to know that actually Jesus can hand you a bright future 
His, his purpose and plans for your life are, are not changed. Maybe he just needs to reconnect some people with it. But actually, sometimes I just feel for some people, you're looking at the future and it's colored by some things that have happened. And I don't belittle those things. But I just say to you that that story does not therefore equal your future is rubbish. Jesus handed her a future back. You know, the promise one day that <coughs> she would hold grandchildren that the sound of family returned. The Jesus handed it back. And then there's a whole crowd, we're told, her, powerfully effective. Verse 16 says, Fear sees them. They glorify God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. See, when Jesus turns stories of loss to life, it begins to affect powerfully people around you. It begins to cause them to acknowledge the reality of God. They said, oh, God is visiting his people. Friends, how we need to hear that. How we need to hear people in and around our lives seeing the power of God at work and saying, God's visiting his people. They're acknowledging the reality in your workplace of, of God. And then others are powerfully affected. Verse 17 says, and this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. I just want to say, don't underestimate don't underestimate the impact of stories of loss to life and how far they can go. And as I close today, you know, the same Jesus who saw this woman, can we all close our eyes together in the presence of God today? The same Jesus who saw this woman midst a great crowd and a considerable crowd sees you. He sees you. You may be doing your level best to just keep going. Even to kind of only let people see what you're comfortable with them seeing. But Jesus sees you. And if there's something going on in a thing with loss or feel like something has died I want you to know that as he looks at you today his, his gaze upon you is not casual or passing or fleeting but he cherishes you and that all his attention we can't give our attention to more than a few people one person or whatever it wants properly but yet he is able to give every single person in this room his full attention his attention is upon you. And he says, yeah, that what's going through your mind right now, that which has been eating you up, that which is hurting, that which you are struggling with, I feel your pain. He feels it. And he's letting you know today that you are not alone. Even if you might feel it or the enemy might whisper it, you are not alone. Your story is not unnoticed or missed by him. And he wants you to know that hope is here. His compassion, which moves him to action. He's calling you to a fresh spark of trust in him today.
lovingly and tenderly. He's calling you to a fresh spark of hope that he can turn this story around. He can bring life out of loss. Whatever it might be, health, confidence, peace, etc., relationship. And that you haven't got to sit and think, well, I'm not good enough for that, or right, what have I got to do to get it? No, it's by grace. And he wants you to know as you come under the sound of his word today. And he's speaking right into your heart, right into the midst of that situation. There is power in his word to turn loss to life, sorrow to joy. We love you, Jesus.